Hello, I'm Amy Stevenson, and this is The Human CEO. In each episode, we'll be meeting with CEOs and senior leaders to understand their approach to leadership, the challenges they faced, and how they overcame them. We'll also be asking what they feel it takes to be a great leader. Don't be afraid of failure. You know, if that idea doesn't work, well, what did we take from that? Where can we go from that? You know, don't be afraid. Just go have a go. You might like it, you might not, but you've tried it. Welcome to The Human CEO. I'm your host, Amy Stevenson, and today I'm joined by Neil Armstrong. Neil's the founder and CEO at Carbon Visibility, a company dedicated to decarbonizing the global supply chain and reaching carbon zero. Neil's a forward-thinking entrepreneur with a passion for making a difference. Over the years, he's developed a varied portfolio of businesses and possesses a wealth of experience in leadership roles and consultancy within some of the largest construction, engineering and utility companies in the UK. With a wealth of experience and a proven track record in leadership roles and consultancy, Neil joins us today to share his insight as a leader and human CEO. Thank you for joining us today, Neil. It's great to have you with us. Good morning. Thank you for uh, the invitation. No worries. I'm looking forward to speaking with you. So can you tell us a little bit about Carbon Visibility and what you're working towards, what it stands for, please? Yeah, certainly. So um, Carbon Visibility, well, Carbon Visibility basically helps organisations Uh, understand uh, the carbon reporting. So Mm -hmm. carbon reporting is a very complex area. It's uh, becoming more and more prominent in in tendering situations Mm -hmm. now for clients and securing work. Um, And, you know, what we found is why we founded Carbon Visibility is lots of organisations want to do the right thing and they want to make a difference and they want to start on their decarbonisation journey, but they don't know how to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, And that's what all our business is about, is basically taking a problem and simplifying it and making it simple for our clients to make Mm -hmm. a difference. Great. I was actually speaking with the CEO the other day and they were saying they'd really like to understand how this works moving forward because if you bring sort of a, a generic consultant in sometimes they can blind you with the science and it's a, a real pragmatic step-by-step approach i think that people want sometimes uh, uh, absolutely and that's what we did is we created a a digital solution that takes all of the complexity out asked questions that relatable to, to businesses mm-hmm. um but the output uh, creates very sort of uh, informative data that business and organisations can make informed de- de- decisions, okay. and it gives it sets them targets and it gives them a roadmap to to start their journey on uh, the decarbonisation plan. Fantastic! And so you've been uh, chief exec there for it's almost two years now, isn't it? Coming up in May. It is. I'm the founder and the CEO of mm-hmm. uh, Carbon Visibility. Yeah. Fantastic. And so as the leader of that organisation and as the founder of that organisation, what kind of challenges are you up against at the moment? What's sort of keeping you awake at night? Um, I think it's the lack of consequence of not having carbon reduction plans in place for, for organisations. Mm-hmm. So the, the, uh, the government have agreed to the Paris Agreement where we've agreed to be net zero by as, an, as a country by 2050. Mm-hmm. They've set various other sorts of guidelines and uh, benchmarks in there. They're currently starting to uh, introduce some guidelines 
or mm -hmm. expectations. So they brought a, a procurement notice out last year that says if organisations are bidding for government work with a value of £5 million in a year, they must have a carbon reduction plan and it's in a very specific template and is uh, very precise on what reporting, so, uh, the scopes that they're reporting against, which is absolutely fantastic because if you don't do that, you will not be tendering work for us. Mm -hmm. They also introduced another uh, procurement notice, which is once you've got through that, that tendering gate mm -hmm. and allowed to tender, they're actually scoring all of the tenders by a minimum weighting of 10% on the social value. Wow. That's good. Uh, so how organisations, have they got a decarbonisation strategy? How are they influencing their staff? How are they influencing their supply chain regarding social value? Yeah. So that is absolutely fantastic because we always use the analogy of when seatbelts was introduced many, many moons ago is we would like you to wear a seatbelt and the uptake was very minimal. Mm -hmm. But actually, when you put a consequence in place, if you don't wear a seatbelt from this day, you will be fined and you will get, you know, uh, mm -hmm. penalty points, etc. And then the uptake is instant. Yeah. And what I feel that as, a, as a, a country we need to do is we need to put these consequences in, in, in place uh, uh, to, to, to get the uplift with and make organisations stand up and be counted regarding decarbonisation because there's one of the big words at the minute is greenwashing mm -hmm. and organisations out there are, are, are putting statements out there where they want setting targets that they're going to be net zero by 2040, 2050, whatever. But actually, when you scratch the surface, there's no substance behind that. Yeah. Um, so um, it's we need to be sort of putting some consequences in, in, in place, really. Absolutely, and making a greater impact. But for those organisations that aren't, I know we're talking about the government and the big tenders that are £5 million or above within one year, but what could organisations that are smaller than that be doing? I mean, what what measures are in place for to support those organisations to become? There's various things. So we've got various clients who are, are, are very serious about making a difference yeah. so they're reviewing all of their supply chain and basically saying that if you want to be part of our supply chain part of the pre-q pqq processes you have to submit a carbon reduction plan and you and part of that it has to be signed off by the director it has to set targets over the next five years and have a, an overview a bit of a plan of how you're going to achieve it what projects are you going to implement Mm -hmm. to reduce your carbon. Okay. And then, so can your organisation help those organisations that are smaller than those that would be tendering for the five million plus contracts? Yeah, absolutely. So we have uh, clients here in various different sectors, so from manufacturing to education to construction, civil engineering and, and logistics of mm -hmm. all different sizes. So we work with uh, SMEs to big blue chip global organizations so we can help all of them with their decarbonization strategy and start taking those first steps 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it's climbing up the agenda for a lot of organisations and should be climbing up the, the agenda for all organisations at the moment. Exactly. And what Carbon Visibility offers is we don't just work with them on their organisation because if you look at lots of organisations, let's take construction for example, 80% of their revenue is on uh, spent with their supply chain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, a massive contributor to their carbon output is through their supply chain. So with our digital uh, solution, we can easily access and map out all of their supply chain. So each one, there's the benefit for the, their supply chain is they get their own personal carbon reduction plan for their organisation, which they will have to do at some point. Mm-hmm. But the benefit for our clients is we bring all of that data back into their business, relate their supply chain's carbon output back into what it means to their business, and then all of the good news stories that surround there. So, you know, your supply chain has committed to reducing target by target by X amount of tons by within the next five years. This is how many organisations in your supply chain didn't have a, a carbon reduction plan, but now has. And all of this then can help uh, with winning and securing new clients, retaining existing clients. So it's very pow- powerful, you know. Uh, clients are making decisions now on on who they want to work with based mm-hmm. on their green credentials. Yeah, absolutely. And that service that you're offering creates that ripple effect, doesn't it? Which then, if there are smaller organisations in the supply chain, they'll start thinking about it and being more committed to... Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Brilliant. And, and so was it always the plan that you were going to found your own business and... And be a, a chief exec, were you always sort of, did you always have your sights set on the chief exec seat or was it quite an organic process? Um, I've always been a, an entrepreneur, so we've got various different um, successful other businesses. Our latest venture into carbon visibility is because mm. there's a problem. Yeah. And we basically take a problem and simplify it and um, provide a solution. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I've always been an entrepreneur. We've always been at various different businesses uh, throughout our, our life. And, um, yeah. And so your approach to leadership then, was that was it sort of developed quite organically in terms of you were leading a business, you, had, you needed people to come with you on your journey? Uh, absolutely. So I, I suppose my leadership started many, many moons ago when I was uh, in uh, working corporate. Uh, so I'm, I manage multidiscipline uh, teams, uh, and I wanted to sort of uh, challenge myself and mm-hmm. push myself and see, you know, where I could take things if I really sort of tried. So I started various project management courses, management courses, leadership courses at the university, mm-hmm. uh, all self-funded evening courses off my own back. Uh, Because at that time, the organisation wouldn't fund my time off or or, or fund the courses. And I I literally, I got to the end of those courses and I thoroughly enjoyed them. I learned so much from them. And I asked the the, the lecturer, I said, so what's next? You know, where where do I go from here? Uh, And she said, how about an MBA? Well, I'd never heard of an MBA. I'd never been to university. 
or yeah. I'd always sort of worked my way up through the ranks. So I looked into it and I thought, wow, that's a bit of a commitment. So I spoke to my wife because doing an MBA is not only two years out of my life, it's two years out of the family life. And it's a big sacrifice, especially for my wife, because then she's having to, we've got four children. It's yeah. looking after that and the family. So I went on to study my executive MBA at uh, the University of Old Business School and um, absolutely loved it. It was heaven and hell, shall we say. Uh, A massive, massive commitment. But it it pushed me and it challenged me and I learned so much from that. It took me from being a silo mentality within an organisation Mm-hmm. to be a leader of a holistic view of, of the organisation. So yes. it really did change my my mindset on how on my thinking, how organisations work, and, and made, made me into an all-rounder rather than just a pigeonhole manager, should we say. Yeah, yeah I'm just, just about to get to the end of my exec MBA with Cranfield. And I know <laughs> all exactly. right. By heaven and hell, I'm right there with you. But I think the thing that it does do, it does, it gets you up in the helicopter, doesn't it? So you can it see does. the picture across the across the board. So congratulations on completing that. It's not, it's not a walk in the park, is it? Let's say no. that. <laughs> no, thank you very much. And you know, the message that I would like to put out there is, you know, I did, I did okay at school, nothing outstanding. I didn't go on to university. I worked my way up through the ranks, and I just remember being the. Uh, the first day and they did introductions and there was, um, you know, various different people from various different sectors and public and private sectors. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm a director of of, of this and I'm a CEO of that and I'm this and I've got these degrees and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, oh, my (laughs) goodness. And I just remember sat in some of these lectures thinking, you know, you could really be speaking... You're speaking a totally different language language to me because I do not understand. But what I did do is I went home, I went and I studied and uh, I made my own sense of it. And thought, well, that's what you mean, you know. But everybody learns in different ways. And Mm -hmm. so anybody can do an MBA as long as you've got that commitment. Yes, yeah, yeah. It does. It takes it takes a lot of time and a lot of commitment. But I would recommend it to anyone. As much as I Abs- can't wait till it's over, it's been brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and so, and thinking about leadership, then, because it sounds as though your perception changed a little bit after the exec MBA. But do you think there are characteristics that all leaders need to have to be successful, or is it case by case? Um, I think you know my leadership style is. Mm. And, and what I, I believe is some s- strong traits for a leader that should have is they should have passion. So they should have a vision and they should be passionate about what they're going to do. They need to be a, a good listener, they're a good communicator. So, you know, to come up with that idea and that vision is basically convey that message across to the team around you. Mm-hmm. And and get get them passionate, you know. See the passion in you, get that passionate. But then, you know, have um, uh, have the strength to let people fly. So pass that message on to them. Create yeah. that vision. Give them a voice, and and basically let them come up with the ideas and um, and challenge the norm. 
mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. And, you know, and don't be afraid of failure. You know, if that idea doesn't work, well, what did we take from that? Where can we go from that is my passion, anyhow. Yeah, fantastic. And so is there a piece of advice that someone's given you that's maybe shaped your approach to leadership or an experience earlier in your career that's sort of shaped how you do things now? I think there's, you know, I think there's there's many things, you know. Um, I mean, one of the but the best pieces of advice is 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 from my mum. Okay. So you know, I was an only child, mm-hmm. um, and it was basically, you know, mixing with lots of people, and you know, it, it was um, sometimes a little bit daunting. But my mum always used to tell me, says, "Don't be afraid." Just go and have a go. Get involved and have a go, but don't be afraid. And that, I take that now into my entrepreneurial and I pass it on to my children, uh, is, you know, don't be afraid. Just go have a go. You might like it. You might not, but you've tried it and you know for the future. But if you don't have a go, yeah, well, you never know, do you? Do it today and you like it, you can do it again tomorrow. <laughs> uh, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, it's like, you know, working your way up through the ranks in the corporate is, mm-hmm. you know, the knocks that you get, you know, and uh, people's opinions. And then, you know, it just makes you stronger mm-hmm. and tougher. Uh, and actually, when you reflect on them, it's like, you know, corporate isn't always um, the right way should we say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not for everybody. I think the entrepreneurial world isn't for everybody either. I think it's it's about knowing yourself, isn't it? And that's where that resilience comes in, to give it a go and figure out what works for you, where you are happiest, where you uh, are uh, Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and I think this is one of the big things that I took from my, my MBA is that everybody's different. Everybody thinks differently. Everything... People are motivated in different ways. Yes. And one of the, the great stories that I heard about um, sort of influencing people was um, it was a story about um, an elderly couple lived in a, a nice house and at the back of them there was a big plot of land and this big house builder wanted to build all these houses. But to gain ha- access to these houses they needed to buy four four houses and knock them down to get the access so three of the the houses basically sold out to the builders uh and this last house was not budging so you know the ceo was saying well go back to them and offer them more money Mm -hmm. so they'd go back offer them more money and this went on and on and the price kept going up and up and uh, in the end the ceo goes well why, why won't they accept the money? They said, well, they just don't want the money. So the CEO went down and sat with them and had a cup of coffee in the house. And, uh, and basically, he said, what, what can make you move? And they said, look, we've lived in this house for years and years and years. We've brought our family up, mm-hmm. generations of our family up in, the, in this house. We don't need the money. We're, 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 we're comfortable. Um, and it's like, and it, it, it sort of got to a dead end. Mm-hmm. And then the penny dropped that there's all these photos around the room of the family, the grandchildren, children, etc. 
and it was family that was important to them rather than the money. And uh, they turned around and they said, if we named all of the streets after your children, after your family, and anything that's meaningful, yes, would you move? And they said, we, you do that for us. <laughs> oh, that would. And that was it. That's what sold it. It wasn't the money. It wasn't a bigger house. It was something totally that nobody thought about, just, but that's how people work and yeah. motivated in different ways. I use that story so much. I think it's a great story. It's a great analogy, definitely, definitely. And so if someone was looking to follow in your footsteps, that that advice to take everybody sort of at face value, so everybody's different, everybody's coming from a different angle, everybody's looking at things from a different perspective. But beyond that, is there advice that you would offer to someone that was either looking to follow in your footsteps, so uh, about to start their own enterprise and be very entrepreneurial, or someone that's about to take a step up into a leadership position? Is there any advice that you would offer them? Um, I think the best advice I could give is be true to yourself, mm -hmm. treat people with respect, let them have a voice and listen to them mm -hmm. because, you know, sometimes you get stuck in a, a rut and you've got your vision and you're delivering your vision. But actually, mm -hmm. you know, somebody else might just have that slightly different slant, so it's listen to them. But I think the biggest thing would be if you've got the opportunity, go and do an MBA because mm -hmm. it really does change your mindset and make you, a much better all-rounded leader, entrepreneur. That would be my recommendation. Great. Fantastic. And so in terms of leaders that you particularly admire, is there one past or present, famous or otherwise, that you particularly admire? And if so, why? There's so many. Lots. Yeah. So many. But if I, I bring it up to date, and I like football, okay, mm -hmm. So the, the person or the leader that I really respect at the moment is the Liverpool manager, Jurgen Klopp. Okay. He's well respected by all of his, his peers. He's respected the club, but all of the other clubs that, you know, play against him, mm -hmm. they really respect him as, as an individual, his, his management, his leadership style. Uh, he's passionate about what he does. Uh -huh. uh, and that comes across with all of the players you can see that the team are playing as one. They're playing with passion mm -hmm. uh, with that one goal. But also, um, he's created a, a team that can be agile. So with a, a change of a couple of players, he can then take on a totally different component. Yeah. And that's what you need to do in, in business. Yeah. I think if you look at all of his traits of the passion, the building the team, building the team to be as one mm -hmm. uh, and have that belief, but also to be agile to external forces. And in business, that's what you need to be is, you know, you, you look what's gone on in the last few years. You know, we've had the global pandemic mm -hmm. where, you know, with the, the terrible situation with that's going on in, in Ukraine and Russia. You know, organisations and businesses have to be agile to react to what is going on and who knows what's around yeah. the corner. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it goes back to that resilience that you were talking about. I think absolutely in this environment more than any, you've got to almost try and horizon scan, but plan for whatever could happen next because it's a VUCA environment. Exactly, exactly. 
But just going back to Klopp as well, I think authenticity is key because they just wouldn't have it on the cop, would they? If he wasn't yeah. authentic. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and so in terms of reading then, I'm always really interested to understand what CEOs, business leaders are reading or which books have influenced you in the past. Is there a book or a podcast or something that stands out for you? Um, I think uh, a couple of books that I've read in the past are, are really sort of powerful and, you know, I've, I've I've told all my kids to to read uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really do think it gives you that entrepreneurial mindset and the mm-hmm. difference between you know working for a, uh, an organisation or to working for yourself and the differences between the two. And it's not for everybody, but mm-hmm. at least it paints a picture, and then you can make a choice of which direction you want to go. And I'm not saying you know there's a right or the wrong way because everybody's different but I think that as a book it it basically gives it a strong picture of the options that are open to you and the yeah. benefits and disadvantages yeah. um, and another one is um, Sell or Be Sold okay. uh, and it, it really did um, you know in, in, in some of the quite recently is um, when we've been in talks with clients is having that tenacity, that never give up attitude and, you know, asking, is there anything else we can do? Is there, can you see, have we missed anything out of the presentation or whatever? And it's just, you know, that never give up, that never die attitude. Mm-hmm. And it, it really has paid off for us in, in, in recent years. So that's a really good one. The book I'm reading at the minute is a book called um, Opportunity, Seize the Day, Win at Life. That's the thing about, you know, being an entrepreneur is who knows what's around the corner, mm-hmm. what opportunity lies, what problem lies there, and, you know, can you simplify it? Can you mm-hmm. give a solution to it? So um, those books uh, are the ones that spring out to mind. Thank you for those. Two of which I've not read, so I'm learning something new already. <laughs> and so in terms of the next six, nine, 12 months, what's on what's on the cards for Carbon Visibility? What are you most excited about for this year? It's really exciting. Um, you know, as a, as a business, we've, we've set our foundations, we've set strong foundations. Um, so it's, it's building our relationships and developing relationships with uh, our existing clients, mm-hmm. um, whilst also securing new clients. But we're also um, building our partnerships and making our offering stronger. Great. So we've just gone into a partnership with the University of Hull uh, Business School, mm-hmm. which that gives us access to thought lead- leadership and, and innovation. Great. So that's, that's really good. The other partnership is with a New Zealand company called Carbon Click. Mm-hmm. So, great. yes. Yes, yes. So that, I mean, that is, is, is fantastic here because what that does is it, it bolsters both organisations so we can create uh, an offering to our client, which is basically a one-stop shop because mm-hmm. we help the businesses with their decarbonisation strategy and their reporting that gives them an output of their, their carbon output in tonnes. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, well, what do we do now? Because, you know, then it's like, well, we now are partnered with Carbon Click, so we can now offer the carbon offsetting to reduce that with all 
uh, the, the credible um, certification, etc. And w- along with that, we are now looking within the next 6, 12 months to start our global expansion. So the UK is, yeah. is probably one of the countries leading in decarbonisation in the, in the world. But, um, you know, we're already in talks with uh, the US, Australia, <laughs> New Zealand, about taking carbon visibility over there. So really exciting, really exciting. So watch the space, effectively. Absolutely. (laughs) Neil, it's been brilliant speaking with you, so I wish you all the best with it and uh, let's keep in touch. But thank you for, for taking the time to join us on the podcast today. No, thank you, Amy.